Have you ever felt forsaken? You know, so alone and isolated that even God seemed to have abandoned you. I think if we're honest, we'll have to admit that most of us have. There have been dark moments in most of our lives when it seemed as if no one cared. Least of all, a loving Heavenly Father. Well, it might bring you some comfort to know that even Jesus felt that way. The writer of Hebrews assures us that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are. That he's been through everything we go through. And that's what enables him to be a compassionate high priest. He can identify with what we're going through because he's been there. And that includes feeling forsaken. During the last three hours on the cross, the Son of God actually felt forsaken by His heavenly Father. Now, the first three hours were bad enough. After being scourged, beaten to within an inch of His life, He was stripped and nailed to a cross. Once there, he not only had to deal with excruciating pain, he also had to face the mocking and insults of the authorities, the spectators, and even others hanging on crosses beside him. But as bad as that was, things were even worse during the final three hours on the cross, when he was alone in the darkness. For that's when Jesus felt forsaken. We're in Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was crucified on the third hour of the day, or around nine in the morning. From nine till noon, there was a lot of activity around the cross. We've already mentioned the, the mocking and the insults that he suffered during those three hours. But during those first three hours, Jesus felt secure. And he actually ministered to others. While they were crucifying him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And when the second thief repented and said, Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise today. And then when he saw his mother and the apostle John standing nearby, he entrusted her to his care. He was still in charge. 
Granted, his circumstances were horrible, but he was still in control. And he knew it. He felt secure. He could still pray, knowing God would hear his prayer. He could hold out hope to others because he still had hope. He could make provision for his mother because he had a friend who he knew he could trust and wouldn't let him down. But something happened at noon that began to eat away his confidence and his sense of well-being. The lights went out. Darkness fell upon all the land. The entire land of Palestine went dark. And it was a supernatural darkness. An eclipse or a sandstorm won't explain it. It was like the darkness that fell over the land of Egypt for three days before the Passover lambs were slain. God blotted out the sun. And for three hours, everything was in total darkness. It was as if God had blocked out the sight of His Son on the cross. And apparently, that is what Jesus felt was taking place. After three hours of darkness, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which translates, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As we've already seen, he was quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. But he was also expressing his own feelings. He felt forsaken. And it's quite possible that during those three hours, God did turn away from His Son. He was bearing our sin on the cross. And a perfect God cannot countenance sin. Sin had cut Him off from His heavenly Father, and Jesus felt it. It was almost more than He could bear. He felt utterly forsaken. And those around him also thought him forsaken. Let's continue. And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. The spectators agreed. It looked as if Jesus had been forsaken. While few, if any, would have considered Jesus to be the Son of God, most did accept the fact that he at least thought himself to be a prophet. And it sounded as if he was calling out for Elijah to save him. They were curious. Would Elijah save him? Was this man really a prophet? And if he was, would Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, come to his rescue? That would really be something to see. According to John, Jesus then said, I thirst. 
And someone took a sponge filled with sour wine vinegar that the soldiers apparently drank and put it on a stick and gave Jesus a drink. Why he did so, we can only guess. Maybe he was just being compassionate. Maybe he wanted to hear what Jesus had to say and he could tell that his, his throat was parched. Perhaps he was actually trying to extend Jesus' life a little to give Elijah more time to come rescue him. And it sounds like that's what the crowd wanted. But I doubt that anyone really expected Elijah to appear. You know, would you have wanted Elijah to come from heaven to rescue someone you had just crucified? I don't, I don't think so. I think they're being sarcastic when they said, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. It looked as if Jesus had been forsaken. And he felt like it. But he still entrusted himself to his father. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now, I'm so glad this isn't the only account of Jesus' death that we have. If it were, we might assume that Jesus' cry was one of anguish or defeat, but it wasn't. John tells us he cried, it is finished, not I am finished, it is finished. He had finished what he had come to do. He had paid the price for sin. His was a cry of victory. And then, according to Luke, he said, Father... Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, I really like that. Even after crying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He still had enough faith to entrust himself to his heavenly Father. Even when he didn't feel loved, when he didn't feel secure, he still knew deep down that God was still there. We need to learn that. Even in our darkest hour, even when we're feeling utterly forsaken, even when everyone else thinks we've been forsaken, even when and especially when we're standing at death's door, we must remember that God is still there. That He hasn't forsaken us. The writer of Hebrews makes a point to remind us that God said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Even when we are feeling forsaken, we can still entrust ourselves to him with full confidence that he is there. And if we will, he'll honor our faith. And eventually, before or after our death, he will validate our trust. He did so at the death of Jesus, and he did so in a very dramatic way. 51 through 53.
And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. At Jesus' baptism, God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He said it again at the transfiguration. I'm sure it would have been very comforting for Jesus if God had spoken from the darkness surrounding the cross and had once again said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to wait until after his death. Only then did he validate what Christ had done. And he did so in a most spectacular way. At the death of Jesus, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the veil was the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And it was in the holy of holies that the Shekinah presence of God had once dwelt. He had long before departed the holy of holies. In Jesus' day, it was just an empty room. But it still symbolized the presence of God. And the veil symbolized the fact that there was a barrier between God and man, through which only the high priest could pass. At his death, Jesus destroyed that barrier. God literally and miraculously tore the veil in two. Now, Josephus tells us the veil was 60 foot high and 30 foot wide, and was as thick as the breadth of a man's hand. So this wasn't just a freak accident. God demonstrated to the Jewish priests, and they were the only ones allowed in the holy place, so they were the only ones who could have seen what God did to it. He demonstrated to them in a most powerful way that their services were no longer needed. His son had become the high priest who opened up direct access to the Father. And apparently, some actually understood the significance of what was happening because in the book of Acts, we learn that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It was an amazing event. But that's not all that happened. The earth shook, and the rocks were split. When Jesus died, the foundations of the earth were shaken. He was their creator, and they were quaking before him. And not only were the rocks split, the tombs were opened. Many of the tombs around Jerusalem were opened and the bodies of the saints were raised. 
Now, who these saints were, we aren't told. Apparently, they were individuals who died either trusting that God would send the Messiah or saints like Simeon, who, after seeing the infant Jesus, declared he could now die in peace because he had seen the Lord's salvation. Now, this is the only place where this event is recorded. And it's not clear whether they actually arose as soon as the tombs were opened or arose in conjunction with Jesus' resurrection. But it is clear that after Jesus' resurrection, the resurrected saints went into the city and were seen by many. The assumption is that they testified to the risen Christ. Jesus may have felt forsaken during those last three hours on the cross. And those who saw him may have been convinced that he had been forsaken. But now there was no question. God had forsaken no one. He may have had to turn his back for a short time because of the horror of the sin his son was bearing, but he had not forsaken him. God's will was being accomplished even in the darkest hours of Jesus' life. And Jesus' trust in his Father was validated when the darkness ended. Now, the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, we sometimes overlook the fact But if the darkness was on the land from noon until three, but the darkness ended at three o'clock, when Jesus dismissed his spirit, the lights came back on. And it didn't go unnoticed. How could it? When the centurion... And those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, saw him die. And at that moment, felt the earth quake and saw the darkness flee. They knew they had crucified the wrong man. In fact, the centurion declared truly, this was the Son of God. Luke adds that all the multitudes who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. They hadn't seen Elijah come, but they had seen the Son of God go. And they knew it. They knew it. It would be 50 days before they would be given the opportunity to repent of what they'd done. It would be 50 days before they would learn the truth that Elizabeth Browning expressed so beautifully when she wrote, Yea, once, Emmanuel's orphan cry, his universe has shaken. 
It went up single, echoless. My God, I am forsaken. It went up from the holy lips amid his lost creation that of the lost, no son should use those words of desolation. It would be 50 days before they would learn that there was room on the cross for them. And that if they would join Jesus on the cross, they too could go from darkness into God's marvelous light. And that invitation is still open today. Because of our sin, God may have turned His back on us in the past. He had to. But He hasn't forsaken us. And if we, like Jesus, have enough faith to cry, Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit, He will accept us. His face will once again shine upon us. He will validate our trust in Him and the darkness will be ended. There's room at the cross for you. Let's stand.